Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to, uh, to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 11, we're going to begin with verse number 37 uh, this morning. You know, it's always kind of a nervous uh, thing for me when, uh, when uh, someone... Uh, Ask you to come. Well, someone asked me to come over and uh, eat at their house, and I, I know that you probably feel the same way when uh, when you go over and eat at someone else's house, especially when uh, you know they're not that family. You know, when they're family, you can just go there and do whatever what you want to do because they're family. But uh, when you uh, are invited to go over to someone's house that you really don't know all that well, it's always kind of a nervous thing because uh, you really don't know uh, you really don't know what the rules are. You know, there's always these uh, rules of decorum. You don't know what they want you to do. Uh, you don't know what uh, what any sort of things of uh, of manners uh, they may have. Do are we going to pray? Are we not going to pray? You know, uh, are we going to eat this? Then we you know we don't don't know what the rules. And I'm I'm usually one of the worst people to have over your house to eat because uh, you know uh, I'm pretty awkward. And the first reason why you don't want to have me to come over and eat at your house is because I'm going to eat all your food. And I, I don't have no qualms about that, whatever. You know, when I do things for people, everybody's amening back there. Uh, you know, everybody, uh, you know, I, I really am very uncomfortable, you know, about when I do something for somebody, you know, to ask for money or ask for pay for anything like that. You know, but I, I, could, uh, I could build you a house and uh, you could say, well, how much do I owe you for coming over here and building my house? Oh, man, you don't owe me nothing. But if you take me out to eat, I don't mind eating everything on the menu with no problems whatsoever. And that's just the way that I am. And another reason why you don't really want to have me over to your house to eat is because I'm really kind of awkward. And if you've got something hanging on the wall, there's a 99.9% chance I'm going to knock it off. And if you got something sitting on your table, I'm probably going to knock it over too because I just am kind of that, that way. And it's always uncomfortable when you go to someplace's house to eat because you don't really know what the rules. You know that there's some kind of basic rules that you have when you go over to someone's house to eat. You know there's some kind of like decorum, you know, because you know that there's three things that you don't talk about when you're over at someone's house to eat. And we know those first two things. We know you don't really want to talk about religion, and you really don't want to talk about politics, and you really, really don't want to talk about college football because you don't want to have some sort of disturbing conversation that's going to, uh, that's going to disturb the peace because that's really what you want to do. Everybody wants to be polite as, as host. You want a, a quiet conversation, and you want everything to go great. And as someone who is a guest, you want to be a good guest, and uh, you want everything just to be peaceful and just to enjoy dinner and have a good time. But you know what? It really wasn't like that back in the time of, uh, of Jesus' time, there in the Greco-Roman culture. Because in them, those times, it was very custom that if you were one of the intellectuals, if you were an official, if you were a philosopher, or if you were a religious teacher, and you knew that there was someone of your same profession or someone that you wanted to hear, you would actually invite them over. And during that time of, of meeting and during that time of meal, you would have conversation. You would allow them to present their teaching, and you would see which one of you would be smarter, which one of you were more intellectual. You would experience what those ideas would be. But even in those times of what we come to know, and the, the word of these, the, the style of debate or that style of conversation came through that culture to which we call a symposium. In other words, a plight exchanging of ideas, not like a debate, 
but a symposium where one person would speak and share their ideas, and then they would sit down and they would allow the other person to get up there and to share their ideas, and the crowd would just get to hear them all. And so even in that context, there was a sense of a decorum. There was a sense of politeness. And so as we read this story this morning about how Jesus was invited to eat, and he broke all those rules. Because he understand that as he was going to eat with those Pharisees and as he was going to eat with these teachers of the law or these lawyers, that there was something at stake, that there were actually souls at stake, that he was actually encountering the hardest group of people that there is to actually come into a relationship with Jesus. And that is people who are lost that think they're saved. And so as we read this, these, uh, this verse, these verses this morning, I want us to think in our heart, do we truly know Jesus? Do we truly have a relationship with him? Or do we just have a rules and regulations? And do we just have the outward appearance of having a religion and a relationship with him? So let's read together in the book of Luke, chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse number 37 this morning, where we read this. It says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisees were astonished to see, to see that, he did not wash, uh, that he did not wash before dinner. And, he, and the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of your cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he make the out, who made the outside made the inside also? But give as alms these things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and rue, and every herb, and reject justice and the love of God. These ought to have been done without neglecting the other. Woe to you, Pharisees! You have, you love the seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also for you, uh, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses for your consent to these deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you built their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God uh, said, I will send my prophets and apostles, some whom they will kill and persecute, and that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the earth may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who, was per who perished beneath the altar of the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers! For you have taken away the key of the knowledge, and you do not enter yourself, and you hinder those who were eating, or who were entering. He, as he went away from there, 
the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to eat, to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, as we read these verses this morning, Lord, we search our hearts. Lord, to see, Lord, if our religion, if our faith in you is just carried out by, by empty, empty religious practices. Lord, or is there been a change in our heart? Lord, have we confronted our sin? Lord, have we confronted our need for a Savior? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Pharisee asked Jesus to come and to dine with him, and I'm sure they were looking to hear some of his uh, teaching. Maybe they were curious. Maybe they were looking for the debate. But in this time of, uh, of dining, Jesus realized that he was with a hostile crowd. He was with a group of people who thought they knew the way to heaven, some people who thought that their eternity was, some, was secure, but they were far from it. And what made the confrontation even worse with these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, also known as lawyers, is that they were teaching this as the way to get to heaven. So it wasn't just the fact that they in themselves were lost, but they were teaching others their ways. In other words, they were teaching people, lost people, how to be even more lost. And so he said, I need to come uh, meet with them. I need to have this dinner with them so I can confront their teaching. And you see, there's two groups of people that are presented here, uh, that are presented here in this dinner. Now, the first group is the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? Well, we think about the Pharisees in opposite of another group who were known as the Sadducees. Whereas the Sadducees were more of the aristocratic state, of the aristocratic people, the higher ups there in the government, and they believed in only following what the uh, uh, of what was written there in the Pentateuch, or in the first five books of the Old Testament. That's all they considered to be God's word, and that's all that they would follow because they wanted less rules in their life so they would be free to do more things. And they were really more concerned as a political party about having establishment there in Jerusalem, and they were very cozy there with the Roman government, where on the other hand, you had the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, that they were a group that... Uh, believed in following all of the Old Testament, not only the first five books of the Old Testament, I mean of the, uh, of the Old Testament, but also reading from the prophets as well as the historical books, as well as their wisdom teachings. And they followed those rules, and they were very sincere in following those rules. And, um, and they would do it to such a point where you would take something like, uh, I'll uh, keep the Sabbath holy, one of those commandments, and they would think in their hearts that, uh, hey, how do we keep the Sabbath holy? What is it that we can and cannot do? And through that honest discussion, they came up with volumes and volumes and volumes of different restrictions that were not actually written into the Scriptures. And they promoted those things to actually the level of Scripture, to a certain point where they took the Word of God and they just made it worrisome, endless, impossible legalism. And so that's who the, these Pharisees were. And you would think about these uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, you would think about them almost as political parties. In other words, you think about uh, Democrats and you think about Republicans. 
And now you as an individual may be a Democrat or you may be a, uh, be a Republican, but when a lot of times, and most of the times when we say uh, Democrats are doing this or the Republicans are doing this, you're talking about those people who have actually official status, who actually have position, who actually have seats in government that are actually representatives. And so when we talk about these Pharisees, we're not just talking about people who believe these ways, but who actually had positions, that maybe they were leaders there in the synagogue, maybe they were leaders of the Sanhedrin, or maybe they were just qualified teachers of Scripture. So he talked about these Pharisees, and this is the group that has invited them him in. And as Jesus goes in to dine with him, they are looking at him. They're looking at him to see what he does. And the first thing that they notice is that Jesus does not wash the outside of his cup before he eats. Now, this wasn't just like what you would do. This isn't just washing your dishes before you eat. But this was a ceremonial cleansing. And they believed this or they did this. Have you ever heard of that term, um, cleanliness is next to godliness? All right, this is where it came from, is that they would think that they were supposed to be clean. And so every dish that they had, they would do this sort of ritual cleaning because they thought that they needed to be clean. And so they would clean the outside of their cups. They would clean the outside of their vessels before they would eat. And they thought they were doing something that was religious. And so they were stunned that Jesus was not doing this, that Jesus was not doing this ritual cleaning because they thought if you were a believer in God, if you were a true faithful Jew, this is what you would do. And Jesus used this, the opportunity to show the weakness of what their relationship with God was. And let's listen to what he says to him. He says to them, it says, now you Pharisees clean the outside of your cup of the dish, but the inside are full of greed and wickedness. See, when they would clean those cups, they would just do a little bit on the inside, but they would do a lot on the outside because that's what they wanted you to see. And he says, you know what? This perfectly describes who you are as Pharisees. This truly describes of what you think and what your relationship with God is like. You spend a whole lot of time cleaning the outside of the dish. You spend a whole lot of time having the appearance of faith. You have, spend a whole time showing outwardly that you have a relationship with God by the things that you do. But you know what? Inside, inside, you're full of wrath. You're full of greed. You're full of wickedness. See here, Pharisees, you missed the point. You spend so much time having the outward appearance of religiosity. You have having the outward appearances of being close with God, but you haven't dealt with the inside. You're just following rules, but there's been no change on the inside of your heart. And he says, listen, Here's what you do. He says, you fools, do not be, uh, do not be, did not well, the one who made the outside make the inside also. But give as alms these things that are within, 
and behold, everything is clean with you. See here, you got it all wrong, uh, Pharisees. See, you're cleaning the outside. You're making the outside look pretty. You're making the outside with the appearance that you actually follow God, but the inside is full of weak and, uh, and deceit. And another thing, and one of the things they try to do is that they would give alms. In other words, to give things of charity, whether it be money or whether it be possessions to people who were lame or the people who would poor. And they would do that not just to be nice to people, but to show people that they were more religious than them because of all the money who gave. And you think, and you could probably encounter a lot of people who are, who are rich and when you ask them about their relationship with God and what they do for the Lord, they talk about all the money that they're given and uh, all the things that they've done for the church and uh, how much they tithe and all the things that they do. But Jesus said to them, you need to give not only just the alms of the outside, but you need to give the alms, you need to give the gifts of the inside. So you're giving the Lord your outside possessions, but you're not giving the Lord your inside. You're not giving the Lord your heart. He said, Pharisees, you're doing it all wrong. You're so focused on the outside and looking like you know God. You're so focused on the outside and trying to convince the preacher that you know Jesus. You're trying to convince the person around you that you know Jesus, but you know what inside? Inside, it's still dirty because it hasn't been cleaned. And then he goes through a series of, of woes because he wants to give them an accurate account of who they really are. And you just think about what a shock it was to them. These people who thought they had actually had a relationship with God, they thought that they were at the top and everybody around them thought that they were the top and they were the ones that they should aspire to be like. Jesus gives them some woes. He gives them some worries. In the first woe, he tells them, he says, woe to you Pharisees because you get the little things right, but you're missing the big things. Listen to what Jesus tells them. He says, but woe to you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, but neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So they had... Uh, they had a rule, and we know that you're supposed to give a, a tenth, that you're supposed to give that tithe of uh, a tenth of all of your food, of all the things, and that's what they were supposed to give, a tithe of their food, a tithe of their grain. And that wasn't good enough for the Pharisees. They said, well, should herbs count? You know, should I give a tithe of these mints? Should I give the, the tithe of my thyme, uh, the tithe of my uh, oregano? And so they would even give a tenth. Of, of that. They would even count that as food source. So they were going to an extreme to make sure they were following God in that area. So they got this little thing just right. They were doing it the best of their ability and even going further beyond, but they were neglecting the big thing, and that is love and justice. So many times we could be like that in our hearts and our lives that we can stress and we can legalize the littlest thing, but we neglect those big things that God has taught us to do. We neglect the changes that he wants in our heart. We neglected what he wants to experience in us. We neglecting loving our neighbors, but yet we do all those little things. 
So what's more important, the little things or the big things? Jesus says they're both important. He said you're doing good on that little thing, but you know what? You need to elevate that big thing the same way you're doing that little thing. You should do the one without neglecting the other. And us in our hearts and our lives, we should neglect, and we should uh, strive that we're going to be in like Jesus in every way. That we uh, always focus to not just brag about ourselves in what areas that we're strong, but constantly search our hearts to see how we can grow more into Him. But they were good on the little things, but they were neglecting the big things. And the next thing he says about them is that they were constantly worried about bringing themselves glory instead of bringing God glory. Listen to what he says. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. It was all about the Pharisees. It was all about them bragging. It was all about bringing glory to themselves so everybody could look at them and look how religious they are. And if we're not careful in our hearts and our lives, even as we practice our faith, it can be more about us and bringing glory to ourselves than bringing glory to Jesus. You see, they wanted the best seats in the synagogue. They wanted to sit up front. That's why we as good, humble Baptists, we like sitting in the back, don't we? Because we don't want to be like them Pharisees, right? So they were more concerned about bringing glory and attention to themselves rather than bringing glory to God. And the third thing he tells us, the third woe he gives them, he says, woe to you. This is verse 44. It says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. People walk over you, over them without knowing them. Listen to what he says to them. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you are dead and you don't even know it. You are dead and people don't even recognize it. You are an unmarked grave and people walk over you all the time. You know, in the law, if you came in contact with a, with a corpse, then you were considered to be unclean for seven days. In other words, as a corpse or as a tomb, you were in a sense uncleanliness and you actually brought uncleanliness. And that's what he's saying to them. He says, not only are you dead, but you're also bringing a curse. You're also bringing uncleanliness to other people. In other words, not only are you dead, but you are bringing deadness to everyone who seeks to follow you. Now, that's not a good thing to say at dinner, right? Especially when you're a guest. And so another group speaks up. He says, um, he says uh, one of the lawyers are, uh, answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So we bring another group, a group of lawyers. Now, a lot of time when we think about lawyers, we think about criminal lawyers. We think about uh, those who, uh, who go to law school and those who are part of criminal proceedings. But 
And that's why in a, a lot of tr- uh, translations, they use the term or use the phrase teachers of the law. In other words, these were religious teachers. And what were they teaching? They were teaching scriptures. These were people who spent their entire life studying the actual scriptures, who spent their time actually studying the word of God. And if you were to ask them a question about what was in the scripture, they would be able to uh, tell you the answer. And, uh, and again, these were people who were in official positions. These were the teachers in the synagogues. These were the rulers. These were the experts. These were the people that you would come to with a question. And they said, even amongst the Pharisees, hey, when you talk about, bad about the Pharisees, you're also talking bad about us. And so Jesus says, well, uh, you think I'm talking bad about them and that offends you, but I got some woes just for you. I got some woes just for you lawyers. And so Jesus would say to us this morning, not only do I have woes for people who are trying to live a life for God just on the outside without dealing on the inside, not only do I have a word of warning for people who are just trying to look religious on the inside, but on, I mean, on the outside, but the inside are dead. I have a woes to people who know the Scriptures and who are experts in the Scriptures but haven't dealt with the sin in their own lives. That's a lot of us, isn't it? We have a lot of people who know the answers, a lot of people who know the Scriptures but haven't dealt with it personally in their own hearts, in their own lives. And listen to what he says for you. He says to them, he says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You ever notice how ungracious we are sometimes when somebody comes and asks us about something they're doing and what the Scripture has to say about it? You know, we have a tendency to say, well, here's what you got to do. And we list a whole bunch of things. Here's here's how you're wrong, and here's how wrong you are. And we're very ungracious of what we tell people to do. And the lawyers in Jesus' time, those experts in law, were very ungracious when they spoke to people, when they would tell them about their sins. And they would say, well, you got to make these sacrifices. You've got to do this. You've got to change that. And they would put all these rules and they would put all of these restrictions on those people's lives. But they would not dare to lift a burden with one of their fingers. Now, there's two ways that we can, uh, we can read that phrase. We could say that, you know, they were very unhelpful. In other words, they would bring condemnation in these people's lives. They would tell them all these things that they need to do and all these ways that they needed to change, but yet they didn't do anything to help those people. They didn't do anything to encourage those people. They wouldn't do anything in order to nurture those people, to bring them along, and they're trying to improve their walk with God. And a lot of times we are like that. We lay out the rules. We're saying this is what you need to do, but we don't do anything to help or to encourage them. Or we could also read it like this. We read the Scriptures, and we put all kind of burdens on all those other people. But you know what? 
in our own walk with God, we don't lift a burden to try to do it. In other words, we do not practice what we preach. And I know as someone who stands up, uh, stands up here every Sunday, I think, have to think about that in my heart and my life. You know, a lot of times when you read Scripture as, as a preacher, you know, you're always thinking about a, a sermon. And a lot of times, and I'll take notes, and I'll notice a lot of time when I write notes, I'll talk about y'all people. You know, I'll talk about we, are we talking about those people? I, you know, I use some sort of group that to say, like, I'm going to talk to you about that. I'm going to change your life. That I'm going to say this is what you need to do. And I have to change my heart. I have to change my mind. And I really have to change my language as I write it down. Stop using you and start talking about me. To stop talking about those people in their heart and start talking about mine. I got to learn to practice what I preach. And when I start preaching myself, I'm a whole lot more gracious than I am when I'm talking about y'all. And I know in your heart, your life, that's a tendency as well, that we're a lot more gracious to ourselves than we are to other people. But we have to understand that whatever we say is the other person that they must do. Whenever we speak of our, their wickedness, we're speaking of ours as well. And we have to learn that we need to be the people that we expect them to be. We're always wanting the other persons to change, right? Husbands always want the wives to be better. Wives are always wanting the husbands to be better. Children want the parents to be better. Parents want the kids to be better. We never really take the time to take that mirror and look right at it and to say, here is how I need to change. And that's the way they were. That's the way these lawyers were. They knew the scripture, but it, they didn't allow it to change their hearts and to change their lives. Listen to what he also says in verse number 47. It says, woe to you. You build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. You know, a lot of times we think about as, as we read the scripture, and especially as we draw closer to, uh, to Easter, we think about those times and those things and those events that took place during that week. We read about people like uh, Peter and Peter denying Jesus. And we say, you know what, if I was there, I wouldn't have been Peter. I wouldn't have denied Jesus. And we think about people like Judas and him betraying Jesus. And we say in our hearts and our lives that Judas was an idiot. And if I was there, I wouldn't be Judas. And a lot of times we will read about the crowds, those crowds who, who uh, said Hosanna one day, and then just a couple of days later, they were saying crucify. They were saying, how blind, how stupid. If I was there, I wouldn't be like that. That's a really the way that uh, these uh, teachers of the law were. That all throughout the time of God's revelation to his people there in Israel, 
as he sent the prophets, as he sent the messengers, they rejected his word, their word, because they had so much sin on their inside. And, uh, and so that they killed Jeremiah, and they killed Isaiah, and they killed all these great prophets. But the teachers of the law of that day, they built monuments, and they honored those prophets in order to say that, you know what? If I was there back in that time, I wouldn't do it. But Jesus says to them, you build their tombs. And in a way, that's consenting the fact that you were a part of their death. In other words, he's saying that you may think in your heart, you may think in your life that you're any different than those people, but you as a sinner, you as someone who was born under the law, you as someone who was born into sin come from a long line of sinners, and you are no different than them. If you don't look at the stories of what those people did and say, you know what, that's my heart. That's the way that I would have done it in my life. If we don't look back at those people there on the, uh, at the time of Jesus, like Judas and Peter and all those people who denied him and all those people who turned away from him, if we look at them and say, you know what, I wouldn't be like that, we pretty much are saying that we are just like that because we do not recognize ourselves as the sinners they are, as we are. They saw the things in Scripture and all the stories, but they never really applied it to their life. They never realized that they were sinners. They never realized who they were. They never realized that their hearts were evil, just like the ones of old. And we as people who walk this earth, we come from a long, long line of sinners, don't we? From our father, Adam, all the way up to today. Our hearts are wicked. Our actions are sinful. And if we do not confess our sins, if we do not realize that we, in fact, are sinners, and ask God to forgive us, and ask God to cleanse us of our sins, then we will face the fate of the sinners because one day the Lord is going to bring judgment on those people. And that's what he tells the teachers of the law in these next verses. So you are witness and consent to these deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and built their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God says, I will send them prophets and apostles, some whom they will kill, and persecute so that the blood of, the, of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of, of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you punished between, who you uh, uh, perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Who are these two people? Because they really tell us a lot about the mentality and who these lawyers actually were. Who was Abel? Well, Abel, uh, Abel was the brother of, uh, of, of Cain. And remember, they both came to present, altars, uh, present offerings before the Lord. But Abel's offering was, was accepted by the Lord, and Cain's offering was not. And God told Cain, look, if you'll get your heart right, I'll accept your offering 
just like I did Abel. But Cain didn't want to get his heart right. What did he do instead? He killed Abel. And that really is the heart of us, that God challenges us through Scripture with the reality that we need to get our heart right. But what do so many of us do? Instead of getting our hearts right, we'll war against and we'll tear down those people who are righteous. Who was Zechariah? Zechariah was, uh, was, the son of, uh, was the son of a priest named Jehodadah. And I think I got his name right. And Jehodadah was, uh, was the priest during the time of King Joash. Now, King Joash was, uh, was the son of the king, and I forget his name offhand. But anyway, he died. And his, uh, Joash's grandmother was actually a relative of Ahad. Yeah, that Ahad. So you know what kind of wickedness there was. And so she saw uh, an opportunity to make herself king. And so she had all the king's sons killed so that she could rule over Judah. But one escaped, and that was Joash. And Jehodada, got his name right, watched over Joash uh, and hit him in the temple. And he arranged for him to reclaim the throne. And he organized the, the priest, and he was able to, uh, to have uh, the grandmother killed, and he assumed his spot as the rightful king there in Judah. And as long as Jehoiada lived, he followed the ways of the Lord, because that's who raised him. But then Jehoiada died, and now Zechariah is the priest and as soon as his mentor died, Joash started following his own ways, started going after other gods. And Zechariah went and confronted him about his sin. And he was so infuriated, Joash was, is that he had him killed between the temple and the palace. Zechariah confronted him with this sin. And his response to that confrontation was not to get right with the Lord, but his response was to kill the messenger. This world was filled with sin, but we in our lives, when we try to confront people with their sins, they tend to want to attack. They tend to want to be defensive. Instead of getting right with the Lord, they choose to do something even more wicked. And we, in our hearts, in our lives, as we encounter Scripture, we come under conviction about the way that we live our lives. But instead of getting our hearts right and repenting, we pull ourselves away from the Lord. We pull ourselves away from the church. We say that preacher, he's a hypocrite. All them people up there at church, they're a bunch of hypocrites. So I ain't going to go. All because we do not want to deal with having our sin confronted. All these experts in the law who knew the Scripture more than probably I'll ever know it, front and back, left and right, up and down, but they refuse to let it sink into our heart. 
And Jesus wants us to know what that type of mentality will get us. When we are experts in God's rules, in God's word, but yet don't allow it to change our life. Listen to what he says about them. He said, um, he says in verse number 52, it says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you do not enter yourself, and, he, um, and you hinder those who were entering. They didn't want to confront sin in their own life, and so they hid it from everybody else. They drowned it, the true relationship that God wants to have with each and every one of us behind a facade of rules, regulations, watchings, and all the things that would make us outly appear religious. But in no way confronting their sin or acknowledging God for who He is. And that's why these people who were as close to God and the knowledge of God as they could possibly be, missed them completely. And it should be a warning to us that we can spend time here at church and we can still miss Jesus. We can spend all our time in Scripture and still miss Jesus if we don't allow it to seek from our heads into our hearts. Let's heed the woes Let's heed the woes of Jesus this morning and allow him to speak to our hearts and to change us from the inside and move to the outside. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. Lord, that you never give up on us. Lord, that you do not drown us with laws and regulations that we cannot keep. But Lord, you've given us your grace comes to the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, I pray that we acknowledge our sins this morning and turn to you and allow it to change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing. Kneel toward him.